Bullshit filter, Danny DeVito. Um, yeah. How you doing there, buddy? It's, it's Mister. Just say, DeVito. just say, your mother was a dirty, dirty whore for me. Your mother was a dirty, dirty whore. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <clears throat> I love it when they meet with the lawyers after she's dead. You tell her from me. And he's like, sir, I'm just. Re- she's not here. She's not here. I'm just reading the will. Yeah, and you and. And they don't get the concept of that she's dead. Anyway, I digress. Uh, listen, we uh, look. Uh, I, I don't have anything in particular to talk about today, quite honestly. Um, right. But yeah. it's one of those. I, well, there's I, nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, nothing going on. Um, you know, but look, I spend most of my weeks these days uh, trying to avoid arguing with people about Russia, Ukraine, etc. Yes. on Facebook. Because if I did, it's just a, a never-ending fucking saga. But yeah. it's sort of, you know, I'll be long. Uh, you know, I, I think all week, yeah, I'm going to get on, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do right. that. And then I go, I don't want to do that. So i got better things to do. <laughs> I don't want to. I'll save it. Yeah. I'll save it for the show. <clears throat> just vent. This is We should call this, instead of the bullshit filter, either Cam Vents hmm. or Uncle Cam's Corner well, you, at large. Yeah, we used to do the Uncle Cam's Corner thing, right? Yeah. 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 But look, I, anyway. I, I want to talk about it because, uh, look, you know, we put out some shows and um, I've done some, I've linked to some stories on Facebook and the usual people um, get up in my shit. Usual suspects. Uh, you know, I've been right. called a Putin puppet. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been called, you know, an idiot. Um, I yeah. just don't understand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, yeah, that's fine. Look, it's the usual sort mm-hmm. of people. It's very difficult um, to have an intelligent conversation with most people these days. If it's not coronavirus sure. conspiracy nuts, it's uh, Putin conspiracy nuts, or before that it was uh, Trump's Russia Gate conspiracy nuts. It's and the and, and the thing that amuses me, Ray, is you know one year depending on like when back when the when the Russiagate thing was going on on this show, I was saying, look, there's no evidence mm-hmm. that right. Trump or anyone from the Trump campaign directly colluded with Putin or the Russian government to win the 2016 election. As far as I was aware, mm-hmm. this is all through the media storm and all through the, 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 the hype around the Mueller investigation. And then after Mueller's report came out, I read it. There's still no evidence. He found no evidence. Dud. People still didn't right. still didn't believe. But back then, you know, I was being called uh, pro-Trump. You know, I'm uh, uh, right. Before then, I remember before then when uh, <laughs> when we were defending Julian Assange leaking the Clinton emails. People were saying yeah. that uh, I was either pro-Trump or too far to the left. I, I always get called, I'm either too far <laughs> to the left or I'm too far right. to the right. By the same people accuse me of this on Facebook. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. It's like you can't please everybody all the time. <laughs> can't oh, please a certain bunch of people who don't like to deal with facts. But I'll tell you one thing I have been yeah. doing in the last week. I've been reading um, one of John Mearsheimer's books, uh, the Tragedy of Great Power Politics. And it's a book I, I want to recommend to everyone Ooh. 
who right. is interested in a deeper uh, understanding of maybe why things are going on. Now, Mearsheimer, I've been a fan of Mearsheimer's for decades uh, since he and Stephen Walt came out with a book on the Israel lobby about 20 years ago, which I read. Um the Israel lobby in the U.S. and how it affects America's uh, uh, policies uh, right. vis-a-vis Israel. And, uh, you know, then when we were doing research for Ukraine shows a few a couple of years ago during the whole Hunter Biden thing, I came across Mearsheimer again and his mm-hmm. his warnings that he's been giving for years, as has many other as have many other people, about – you know, uh, uh, how Russia would likely feel they were forced to respond if NATO expansion continued. Um, right. Anyway, so he's been in the media a lot recently because he did a he did a lecture that's been on YouTube, I think it was a few years ago, where he was talking about mm-hmm. Russia and Ukraine. And, um, you know, uh, predictably, um, people are coming out and attacking him from all corners. Um, right. For has somebody somebody on Facebook accused me the other day of um, I was talking about NATO extension. They said I was parroting the Putin narrative. And sounds right. Well, I, well, it is right. I said, well, hold on. If we're trying to understand what he's yeah. saying, what his reasons are for what he's doing. Then yes, we have to re- right. repeat what he's saying because yeah, that's what he's saying. That's <laughs> step number one. If you want to solve a problem, okay, address the problem. Here's what's here's Putin's position. You have to understand it. You don't have to agree with it, but you have to understand it before you could intelligently discuss it. You're trying to do that, and they're like, "Oh, you're you're pro Putin. Oh, how much is he paying you? By the way, how much is he paying? <clears throat> not enough. I'm, I, I mean, I'm yet. still wearing the same t-shirt <laughs> I was wearing yesterday. It. I've only got one t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're, I'm they're sorry. doing it tough. I'll send you a no, t-shirt. Like, you know? <laughs> this, <clears throat> you know, this, right. like this, this, these sorts of lines of attack calling me a Putin puppet or you're parroting his narrative. Yeah, listen, if you want to understand why someone's doing something, you ask them why they're doing it, they tell you. Now, you have to repeat that back, make sure you understood it. That's what my counsellor tells me. It's our therapist tells her. When Chrissy has a problem, I have to get her to tell me what I did and then I have to repeat how she's feeling and I have to be able to repeat it back to demonstrate that I'm listening. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Putin's not lying or that there are different interpretations or different analysis or he may be obfuscating Mm -hmm. and he has different reasons. But first of all, you need to be able to understand the argument. And But people say, well, that's parroting the narrative. Yeah, I said, yeah, yes, I am parroting it because (laughs) that's what he's saying (laughs) the reasons are. Right. We can say, well, we disagree and and provide reasons why we disagree, but you have to parrot the narrative if you're going to understand that. But it's those kinds of attempts at um, shutting down the conversation, those sorts of attempts at insults or attacks, which are just – Childish and ridiculous, like when yeah. my old friend Jay David Markham says that I hate America so much that I blame America yeah. or blah blah. I go, hold on, I don't hate America. I'm, you know, and again, that's a childish, stupid insult. I'm trying to provide uh, explanations, as I keep telling people on Facebook. Effects have causes, mm-hmm. right? 
It's cause and effect. Yeah. Effects have causes. Yeah. When the effects are happening, instead of just focusing on the effects, which is war is bad. People say, people keep telling me on Facebook or Markham anyway, I haven't seen you do one post where you've uh, denounced the war. I go, yeah, you haven't seen me do a post today. The sky is blue or the water's wet either. I mean, I don't need to state the fucking yeah. obvious, surely. Yes. Killing civilians, bad. Horrible. The yeah. war is horrible. Yes. Uh, the Russians are executing it in a brutal fashion, uh, yeah. just like the Americans did in Iraq and Afghanistan, continue to do in Afghanistan. The Americans, uh, you know, droned uh, a family uh just a couple of months ago and we're like, oh, well, tough titties. You know, we thought it was uh, legit. Yeah. Like collateral damage. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. War is brutal. War yeah. is horrible. Uh, yes, uh, you should right. execute it uh, by, uh, in a way where you protect the lives of civilians and we've got the Geneva Accords and all this kind of stuff. But the bottom line is nobody really follows that. I mean, it's messy. War is always messy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to John Mearsheimer. So <clears throat> yeah. this book of his, I think it was 2001, so pre-Iraq invasion, pre-Afghanistan, might have even been pre-9-11 when this came out. So, you know, he's, he's writing mm -hmm. it at a time, um, you know, post-Clinton's era, early early days of the Bush two era. But it's it's – I tell you why it really resonates with me because it reminded me of everything that we used to say when we were doing our Alexander series. Do you remember? Right. Do you remember what Alexander the Great? This is for people who haven't heard that. When Alexander the Great died in what year, Ray? Oh God, three. Nope. Three thirty-two, three twenty. I can't remember. What is I it? I think three twenty-three. I'm guessing, but I think it was three twenty-three okay. BCE. That's sounds right. Popped into my yeah. head. When Alexander the Great died, uh, he had half a dozen generals who then decided to divide his empire up between themselves. Mm. Uh, well, they, but they didn't decide it; like they didn't sit around nicely and do that. <laughs> I mean, they did. Right. They did kind of eventually have a bit of a meeting. But what happened was they, you know. Ptolemy got Egypt and somebody got, you know, mm -hmm. Macedonia and somebody got bits of Persia and, you know, they divvied it up. Yeah. But then, the Seleucid, yeah. But then they Im immediately yeah. started fighting each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, zero, zero. and that went on for decades and then they died and their sons took over and they fought each other for decades and that just kept going right. until eventually it calmed down and there was only two, I think. And then the Romans came mm -hmm. along and said, well, we'll have all of that now. Thank you very much. A <laughs> right. uh, hundred years later. But when we were talking about why they were fighting each other, Alexander's mm -hmm. generals, former generals, yeah. uh, because I remember we used to say, why can't they all just go, well, we're happy. We've got a chunk. We've got a big fucking chunk of land. We got you got an empire. I've, I got an empire. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. We've all got money. We've got Check. people. We've got out, bitch. bitches. We've got, yeah. you know, <laughs> cocaine and hookers up the wazoo. What more do you need? I can't think of a thing. But the two theories I think that we discussed at the time, one is that, you know, they were psychopaths and psychopaths are never happy and it's never enough and they always want more. The, the other yeah. theory mm -hmm. Uh, whether or not the first one is true, the first one can be true or false, and the second one makes still makes sense. Is that they didn't trust each other? They yeah. they always believed that the other guys were getting ready to go to war with them, 
and they needed to right. strike first. It was yes. defensive or offensive realist view of great power politics. And this is exactly what Mearsheimer mm. talks about in his book, The Tragedy of Great Power Politics. Let me read some quotes. I've taken some notes as I've been going. It says, the overriding goal of each state is to maximise its share of world power, which means gaining power at the expense of other states. But great powers do right. not merely strive to be the strongest of all the great powers, although that is a welcome outcome. Their ultimate aim is to be the hegemon, that is the only mm. great power in the system. Right. Because that's the only way to be safe. Mearsheimer's theory of what he calls offensive realism, so a realistic view as opposed to what he calls a liberal view, like he was writing this book in a response to sort of end of the Cold War, technically, early 90s. Clinton, right. Clinton gets in in the US. There's this, the, the, you know, the wall comes down. La di da di da. It's uh, it's rainbows and and you know daisies yeah. and kumbaya. Right. Don't forget the unicorns. Unicorns gotta have unicorns in there. Well, well, that's you. where the rainbows. Unicorns shit rainbows. That's where <laughs> rainbows come from. It goes without saying. It's inferred. Knew, if there are I rainbows, there are unicorns <laughs> pooping them out their buttholes, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, unicorn shit somewhere. Yeah. God, this, yeah. I have to keep explaining that to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the there was this view yeah. that it was the end of history, as I think Fukuyama said. That uh, it was coming up to the year two thousand, it was going to be a new era of peace, love, and brotherhood around the world. And Mearsheimer's view was Aww. that's not very realistic. That's not the way that great powers mm -hmm. think. That's not the way that great powers operate. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be conflict, mm -hmm. and and basically he says that conflict is driven by fear. None of the great powers, none of the states trust each other. So they're always right. jostling for a position of, uh, of security. And the best mm -hmm. form of security is supremacy. The, the, best, the only real form of security is to be the hegemon of the system where no one even comes right. close. And no, you are top dog. Yeah, yes. The, and, and even the very idea of attacking you is ridiculous mm -hmm. because you're just overwhelmingly too powerful. Right. Now, that makes sense to me, particularly with all the stuff that we've done. And this, yeah, going back, as I said, to Alexander the Great, going back to Rome, that yeah. was Alexander's view. That was the view of the kings after him. That was the view of the, the Romans. We just need to be mm -hmm. the most powerful. That's the way to be safe yeah. is we're just mm -hmm. the most powerful and we conquer it. We don't conquer. Well, we like to take people's shit and it makes us rich. Right. Who doesn't? But conquering is yeah. how you stay safe from if there's right. if there's a guy over the mountain and he's building up an army, well, you can sit and wait for him to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until he can finally have a go at you. Or you get in there right. and as a Australian business executive said to me about startups that were threatening their business once upon a time, twenty five years ago, you kill the baby <laughs> in the crib was his uh oh. Yeah. That's what he not just to me, I was in a room full of people. Right. Kill the baby in the crib. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, that, so that's the offensive part. So it's a realistic view yeah. of, you know, states and uh, their views on security, geopolitical views on security and safety and those sorts of things, combined with the idea yeah. of offense is the best defense. So it's called offensive realism. 
Uh, and it makes sense right. to me when, you know, we think about everything that we've read in the Cold War. You know, my argument for the last however many years we've been doing this show was coming out of World War II, the US's uh, main strategic goal was global economic hegemony. Um, right. They wanted to be able to trade with every country. They wanted every country to be able to trade with them, but they wanted all of that trade to happen on their terms with the American dollar right, as exactly. the standard. And exactly. they also wanted no military powers around the world that singularly Please. or combined could threaten them. Right. What do right. you say about police? Exactly. No, I was going to say, yeah, it'd be great, please, if no one can else have a military as big as ours, because we took over from the British. The British took over from the Spanish Empire when they were taking a whole bunch of gold from the New World. Everybody's had their heyday. America, it was America's turn, and that's how you play the game. You you literally get everybody to play on your board with your rules. If you're not going to play my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home. That's just the way it's done, and America was following in a long line of uh, tradition of empires. And America had already been doing it for 100 years. That's the basis of the Monroe Doctrine, right, is there wasn't yeah, yeah. any – Stay out. Yeah, th exactly. there was no European power allowed in the American mm -mm. hemisphere, in the Americas, basically, that side of the world. And they wouldn't allow any power in that region to be independent, let alone be powerful. Right. Because the yes. reason you guys have been putting sanctions on Cuba for the last 70 years – is because they mm -hmm. refuse to play ball. The, exactly. the reason why you guys have attacked Venezuela and tried to destroy their government, et cetera, you've done it with every, every other country in South America. We talked about the uh, Kirkpatrick doctrine as, doctrine as well mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. For people who right. haven't heard us talk about that, there was this um, American, uh, she ended up as a, an ambassador, G Jeannie Kirkpatrick. Is that right? Right. Yep. Fitz, yep. Fitz Kirkpatrick. Not Fitzpatrick. Kirkpatrick. 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 Um, yeah. She ended up, it was during the Reagan years, um, she ended up being an ambassador to something. But she, you know, she put forward a theory, uh, I think in the 70s, um, which was that America was better off, if it had to choose in any part of the world, between supporting right. a leftist government and a right far-right government, including far-right military dictators. Doesn't matter. In, uh, you know, Latin America or in Asia, Europe, wherever. America was yeah. better off. Their, America's interests would be better served by supporting the far-right dictatorship, mm -hmm. regardless of how brutal they might be, because they were more likely to trade with America than a leftist <laughs> dictatorship. Yeah. Who would be more yeah. likely to uh, want to trade with, you know, socialist or communist governments around the world, form part of the communist bloc, or secondly, would just uh, want to mm -hmm. treat their people well? They want their people to get good, yeah. good, can't have that, good wages, you know, good safety, right? You know, human yeah. rights issues. Where and American corporations, if they're looking for cheap forms of labor, don't want that, right? They want. You want right. governments that will allow you to pay their workers, you know, 50 cents an hour and give them no health care and put, make them work in dangerous conditions and not have to worry about what happens if, you know, yeah. an arm gets taken off by a machine. It's just like tough luck. Yeah. So yeah. Um, 
that, that was the Kirkpatrick doctrine following on from the Monroe doctrine. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we read all of the stories about America uh, fighting to control governments, and, like, and I've talked about this again on our Cold War show, but for people listening here who haven't heard that, uh, the, the the World War Two story goes back post World War Two goes back to the Marshall Plan. Now, uh, mm-hmm. you've heard of the Marshall Plans, is where the U.S. government kicked up about thirteen billion dollars in the late forties to go to countries in Western Europe to help them rebuild. That's the 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 high level um, yeah. public official uh, Disney version yeah. of the story, right? It was we, uh, we saved the world, yeah. We saved yeah. Europe. We saved yes. them. Uh, so the Disney version of the story is that America <clears throat> came up with very, very charitable. The Americans they came up with all this money. They gave it to Europe and said, well, "We love you. God bless. You know, fly and be free. Build yourselves up again." Yeah, exactly. And then they exactly. said, "Oh, oh, oh! We got another good idea. How about <laughs> we build this thing called NATO, a military right. alliance." Uh, sure, like where we will sure. defend yeah. you from those evil commies that are going to try and come and take your countries, right. and we will defend you. And you have Article Five, which means one of member gets attacked, everyone's attacked, etc. Yes, it'll be great. Yes, that's the Disney version of it, and and uh, I know a lot of people uh, believe that's you know an, an accurate high level telling of the story. When you drill mm-hmm. down into it, though, it's uh, a lot more. It gets messy. It gets a yeah. lot messy. So N- nuanced. Yeah, nuanced. nuanced? Oh, fucking don't people hate nuance? <laughs> the, re- the the reality is when you uh, we had a guy on the on the Cold War show a couple of years ago wrote a massive book on the Marshall Plan and he barely touched on what I'm about to tell you. But if you dig into the original documents, you you can find all this stuff there. Uh, yeah. There were conditions on the Marshall Plan money. It wasn't just a, a donation. Right, a blank check. Yeah, America didn't just you yeah. know go around all these European countries and just drop checks in donation boxes, anonymous checks, and go, <laughs> hey, you know, got nothing. Yeah. You know. It came yeah. with conditions, and, and there were a couple of very serious conditions. One was mm-hmm. the majority of the money had to be spent on American companies. American yes. goods and services. It was more of a line of credit for American goods and services right. than it was yes. a donation. Um, right. Now, that that's fine. I mean, it still helped Europe uh, rebuild. I'm not denying that. But it was it wasn't. Uh, hey, spend this money however you see fit. You know, self determination mm-hmm. of all white peoples. Uh, here, here's the money. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Um, with it. No, it was like you have to spend it. There was a little bit, I think, that they could spend, like maybe 10% they could spend on other stuff. But the vast majority had to be spent on American goods and services that were approved by the US government. So it was Mm -hmm. basically a massive transfer of wealth is essentially what happened. That $13 (laughs) this is in the late 40s when $13 was a lot of money, It went from the taxpayers, the taxpayers in America paid it to the government, the IRS. The IRS Mm -hmm. gave it to the federal government. The federal government then turned around and basically gave it to American corporations. Here, here's $13 billion. Easy peasy, Japanese. Exactly. You're going to get some orders, just fill them. Here's the money to pay for everything. 
God bless. Is that racist, easy peasy Japanese? I don't even know anymore. Nope. It feels racist. Am I going to be? So, am I going to be cancelled because of that? Are they going to cancel us now? No, you would have been cancelled a long time ago. No, I, you're you're good. It's just par for the course. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's the good thing about being your own boss. Like who's going to cancel us? Exactly. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, no. I'm having a I'm having a blast. Um. Where was I? Oh, yes. So it was the transfer of wealth made a lot of people very rich uh, in America. Right. Uh, so, so that was the one. The first condition was uh, you have to spend it on American mm-hmm. goods and services. So basically it was buying a market. It's like, yes. you know, here's a, here's, a, here's a cheap loan or free loan mm-hmm. even. Right. Uh, the only condition is you need to buy everything from me. I organized a loan from you from the mafia. And the only catch right. is you need to spend it all on all on my products. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah. Yeah. the second condition that people should know about is you could only get access to that line of credit if you mm-hmm. kicked all of the socialists and communists out of your country and never let them, yes. never let any socialist or communist political parties arise exactly. in your country. Keep them down. So yeah. there was no freedom. Uh, self-determination of the peoples to choose their own form of government. It was you get access to goods and services, but yeah. you have to fully commit to being part of our socioeconomic block worldview. Right Now, of course, yeah. um, at the time in Europe, there were a lot of burgeoning socialist parties um, mm-hmm. because, as we talked about in detail on our Cobble show over the years, Capitalism had failed everyone. You know, there was a series of recessions that had happened in the late 19th and early 20th century leading to the Great Depression, which led directly into World yeah. War II. I mean, capitalism had brought them World War I, then the Great Depression, and then there were there was famines and the Dust Bowl and famines across Europe as well um, yeah. because of bad uh, agricultural practices and some probably some proto-climate change. Um, and then straight into World War II. And people were people were looking for options. They were looking for alternatives. They were looking for more control mm-hmm. over their political system, over their economic system. Socialism was, uh, you know, uh, becoming more and more popular. People, particularly the intellectuals uh, in yes. the West, were giving serious consideration. Yeah. And there were parties in all of these countries. But the part of the deal with the yeah. Marshall Plan was they had to be shut down no tolerance, zero tolerance for socialism. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, and, and, you know, the European countries, there were, you know, the people running those countries at the time, you know, what are you going to do? You, your country's been destroyed, wiped out by the biggest war the human race has ever seen at that point. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you have a line of easy credit to rebuild, but you have yeah. to you have to commit yourself to a particular camp, particular side. Yeah. Now, the Americans then like, okay, well, we've spent $13 billion to buy this market. They say they're going to keep the socialists mm-hmm. and the communists out, but how can we really protect our investment here? You know what we need to do? Right. We need to, we need to put a massive army in Europe to protect our investment. 100,000 soldiers, well, we military bases. We Right. But it's peacetime. But you can't say that out loud. Well, it's peacetime. Right? I mean, what do we do? How oh, do we peacetime? How do we justify okay. that kind of expense 
to right. our military, industrial, congressional, uh, uh, <laughs> media uh, conglomerates. Um, yeah. How do we justify that to the people? Uh, well, what we have to say is we're forming an alliance against the communists because they might invade because they are evil. So NATO, right. NATO was uh, America's way of protecting their acquisition of the markets of Western Europe. Because, again, keeping in mind right. that after World War II, the economies of every other major country were, they were fucked, written off. Yes, Russia was broke. Literally. The Soviet Union was right. broke, so they couldn't, um, they couldn't put in a counteroffer to these countries in yeah. Europe. They were trying to get some Marshall Plan money, but the Americans cut them out of that. Um, right. Well, they kind of, you know, the way I remember it, they kind of said- They made it impossible. Yeah, you could have some, yeah. but you have to oh, open yeah. your country up to laissez-faire capitalism, and there was no way Stalin could agree to that yeah. in uh, 1945, yeah. six, seven, eight, whenever it was. Um, yeah. So the, the, these countries in Europe- didn't have any options. It was a it was a one seller marketplace. You know, you you want to, you want yeah. some relief. You have to get it. IMF didn't exist. World Bank didn't exist when they were created by the US to continue this kind of behavior afterwards. Actually, but you know, it was right. it was a clever way the Americans had. It was brilliant. It was uh, we don't need yeah. to take over Europe militarily. We'll just buy it. No. We got the money exactly. We and, and we're in a unique situation where we can buy it. And and it's not like we just stumbled onto it. America knew exactly what they were doing. We even um, different sources. It depends on how strong uh, who you listen to. But we even delayed getting involved into the war in Europe, letting the Germans and the Russians beat the shit out of each other. So we knew exactly what we were doing. But again, I'm not doing blame. I'm not doing guilt. Hey, if you want to be number one, these are kind of the things you got to do. You just it's it's brutal, it's ugly, and you're taking advantage of someone else's weakness. That's what you do. But that's how you get to be number one. And we saw our opportunity and we took it. It's it's not good or bad. It's just what nations do because everybody wants to be on top. And that's the point. That gets back to Mearsheimer yeah. and offensive realism. This right. is what great powers do. I mean, I'll read another quote. Blackmail and war are the main strategies that states employ to acquire power Balancing. Oh, hold on. I should point out who John Mearsheimer is for people who don't know. They might be going, please. Who is this guy and why should I listen to him? Um, he's in, uh, is it Chicago? I think. Um, I'm just looking, trying to look up his um, sure. titles here. He is the distinguished service professor or a distinguished service professor at the University of Chicago, one of the most cited international relations mm -hmm. scholars in the discipline. So, um, you know, to be taken seriously, he's not some crackpot like me. Yes. Yeah. Right. Let me go back to this quote. Blackmail and war are the main strategies that states employ to acquire power and balancing and buck passing are the principal strategies that great powers use to maintain the distribution of power when facing a dangerous rival. Um, but he goes on to yeah. talk about um, it should be obvious to intelligent observers that the United States speaks one way and acts another. 
In fact, policymakers in other states have always remarked about this tendency in American foreign policy. As long ago as 1939, for example, Carr pointed out that states on the European continent regarded the English-speaking peoples as, quote, masters in the art of concealing their selfish national interests in the guise of the general good, end quote, adding that, quote, this kind of hypocrisy is a special and characteristic peculiarity of the Anglo-Saxon mind. Can I add on my Native American experience? You know, I am one fourth Cherokee. Uh, my people say that you white devils speak with a forked tongue. That shit's real. Um, the Indians know from firsthand experience having all their land. They have treaties. The treaties get broken. They get another treaty. They get driven west, yada, yada, yada. So my peeps know what they're talking about. And whoever said that knew exactly what they were talking about. But you know, we see ourselves as the good guys. So we can't openly brag about doing bad things. We have to say we're the city on the hill. We're the shining example. Everybody, if everybody was like us, everything would be great, but it's just, it's just cloak and dagger. We're doing all the nasty shit that all the other powers have done. We just give ourselves a white hat and we veil ourselves in democracy and freedom and all that shit. It's a cloaking device. I mean, it's to distract look over there. Why I, you know, do something over here. It's, for a while, we were good at it, but I think eventually everybody catches up and figures out what we're doing. But it doesn't matter when you have the largest military in the world. Yeah. And Unless, of course, you're not willing to use it. And then at times like this, you know, they're, they're all criticizing the Russian media for telling a biased narrative to the Russian people about right. the war. You know, like, really? Fucking hypocrisy much? Um, yeah. Speaking <laughs> speaking of... Um, the media, all of these Western outlets are blocking or banning Russian media outlets like RT. Right. When when Venezuela or Cuba uh, blocks a media outlet for carrying foreign propaganda, there's a massive mm-hmm. outcry about how it's, yeah. uh, you know, censoring and that's just left stifling. Yeah. Yes. They don't believe in freedom of free speech. Free speech. When Western companies do it as well, of course, you we can't allow this uh, Russian <laughs> propaganda out there into the media Lies. stream. It's horrible. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know there's a difference between governments doing it and corporations doing it, but really, if you think there's a big difference between corporations in the U.S. and the government in the yeah. U.S., I've got a bridge to sell you. They're uh, on the same side of a coin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here, Mearsheimer continues, when power considerations force the United States to act in ways that conflict with liberal principles, spin doctors mm-hmm. appear and tell a story that accords with liberal ideals. It's the, uh, Pretty much. the, Barians, it's the Barians stand doctrine. Yes. Yeah. Colin Barians they, they, stand. They get up. Yeah, they get just enough coke out of their system to be able to stand, walk, and talk all at the same time. They get in front of the cameras. And they just spin a yarn. Nope, you know, and they use the words freedom and and uh, free speech and liberty and quality of life, all that usual shit. And then we go back to screwing most of the people in our own country. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like, so this is like, to me, Mearsheimer's perspective is the same as the one I've been articulating for mm-hmm. uh, as long as I can remember. He, he does a better job of it, though, obviously. But it's just uh, – it's a realist view, I think, that great powers – he quotes Immanuel Kant here. Right. 
Emmanuel Kant was a real piss and he was very rarely stable. I digger, I digger was a boozy beggar who'd drink you under the table. Nathan Hume could up consume Schopenhauer and Schnabel. And Frankenstein was a drunken swine. I drink that. Oh, fuck. Clark Gable? Yeah, Clark Gable, something, something in there, yeah. Emmanuel Kant idea, yeah. said, it is the desire of every state or of its ruler to arrive at a condition of perpetual peace by conquering the whole world, if that were possible. Yeah, sounds good. That, out of everything I've studied over the course of my lifetime in terms of history and geopolitics, that sentence rings true. Yeah. Sums it up. Sums it up, yeah. You can never be sure what your enemies are doing until we live in a world of complete trust and peace and harmony. Uh, which right. is the communist view of the world, by the way, uh, until we have, you know, Star Trek communism. Yes. Uh, there's, there are always going to be, and even then you would still have psychopaths who would be trying to uh, get shit and take shit yeah. from other people. Until we reach right. a, a utopian world of uh, Star Trek communism and uh, monitoring and medicating psychopaths to stop their psychopathy. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a you're yeah. going to have a world where countries don't trust each other. Now, if they don't trust each other, and they always think that they they're going to launch some sort of a strike on them, economic, mm-hmm. uh, cyber, uh, military, propaganda war, whatever it is, you yeah. You know, we call it defense. You prepare for defense, but really, it's offense is the best defense. It's what's always going on. Yes. Oh, yes. that's the other the other thing. I makes me laugh with the Facebook peoples where they try and argue with me. Like I'm talking about NATO expansion, and they immediately go to, but but what about Ukraine being a sovereign nation? It's a sovereign nation, a sovereign nation. He's attacked a sovereign nation. Like I really right. like. Iraq was a sovereign nation when you invaded it 20 years ago. What, what, like Afghanistan well, was a sovereign nation when you invaded it 20 years ago. Cuba's a sovereign nation and you've been crippling it with economic sanctions for seven years. Venezuela's a sovereign nation and you've, you know, you've been supporting uh, an alternative government down mm-hmm. there for the last few years and tried to do a sneaky invasion at least once or twice. Uh Really, yeah. sovereign nations. Tell me about how much you care about sovereign nations. Like the hypocrisy. Like no one. Yeah. But again, this would be Mearsheimer's point is, you know, countries say one thing. And it's not just America. Russia is exactly the same. They will say one thing but do another. At the end of the day, yeah. they're going to protect their what they believe is their national interest. And if that means throwing their values uh, under a bus, then they will do that in a heartbeat. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they'll pick him up later. As he points yeah. out, what's the point in having values if you get destroyed by your mm-hmm. enemy? That's the rationale. Good point. We can be the nicest people yeah. in history, but if our enemy cr- comes right. over the mountain tomorrow and kills us, then it doesn't. Then matter. it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we have to go and yeah. kill them first, so we can still be nice. Is sort of the yeah. internal narrative I think that they tell themselves. <laughs> Right. Well, just, just like you've been saying, I mean, whether it's a marriage or a relationship between two nations or several nations, if you don't have trust, if you don't have anything close to trust, it's it's going to fall apart. It's going to get nasty. It's just a matter of the details, because without trust, it becomes the game theory where then 
well, even if there's a 0.0001 chance they're going to attack me, maybe I should attack them first. I mean, you, if you don't have trust, you better have weapons. Or what I'll do so is don't trust anybody. For, yeah. force them into attacking me so then I can go, look, right. he attacked me. You all sort. Pick up the gun. Pick up the gun. You all sort. He picked up a gun. Let me give you another example of that. It's slightly larger than picking up a gun. So, and you and I cover this. It was James Baker, the secretary of the state at the time, when we told Russia, look, you allow Germany to unify and NATO, not eat the uh, the United Nations, but NATO will not come one inch closer to Soviet territory because NATO is nothing more than an anti-Soviet organization. That's all it is. And it was fine at the time during the Cold War because we were looking after each other. But in 1999, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland joined NATO. In 2004, Latvia, Lith- Lithuania, and Estonia joined NATO. So that NATO line is getting ever closer to Russia. Obviously, we don't agree with what Putin did, but he had certain ex- or Russia had certain expectations. Those were more than shattered, and now he's he's concerned about his uh, western border. I, I get that, but obviously, we don't agree with what he's doing. And I feel like I should have to I shouldn't have to say that, but I do because there's so many wackadoodles out there. But Russia is concerned with its borders, just like every other country is concerned with its borders. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you, you know, we've talked about this before, I don't want to go over it endlessly, but Mm -hmm. Russia had been uh, telling NATO and the US and the West in general for 25 years that they would not tolerate uh, uh, further incursion. They saw it as an existential threat, further incursions. Uh, closer and closer to their border. And and yeah. the West just continues to ignore them. And as recently as in the last few months, Putin was talking with Biden. Uh, he said, we have to take NATO expansion off the table and uh, uh, with Ukraine. And Biden told him, no, fuck off, non-starter, not even going to talk about it. So when diplomacy right. fails, you've tried for 25 years, uh, it's failed, what do you do? Now, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of people will argue that, well, Putin shouldn't have invaded. But the question I always have is then what should he have done? Diplomacy not working. What are your options if you're Vladimir Putin? You're watching your enemy take over countries that are on your border, used to be part of your mm. country, or Soviet Union. Um, what do you do? How long do you tolerate this? Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know what his alternatives were. Um, right. Here's something from Mearsheimer. States pay close attention to how power is distributed among them, and they make a special effort to maximize their share of world power. Specifically, they look for opportunities to alter the balance of power by acquiring additional mm-hmm. increments of power at the expense of potential rivals. States employ a variety of means, economic, diplomatic, and military, to shift the balance of power in their favour, even if doing so makes other states suspicious or even hostile, because one state's gain in power is another state's loss. Great powers tend to have a zero-sum mentality when dealing with each other. Now, we've talked about the two coups in Ukraine in the last... 18 years. The first one was in 2004. As far as we can tell, 
mm-hmm. supported, if not engineered, by the United States. The second one in 2014, right. again, supported, if not engineered, by the United States. Uh so that's them, like uh, Mearsheimer in a talk of his recently I watched, he said even though Ukraine uh, at the moment is not an official member of NATO, it's a de facto member of NATO. It's basically been taken over yeah. by the US, had a pro-US government installed and supported. The US have been sinking billions of dollars of military mm-hmm. funding and support into Ukraine over the last few years. Uh, you know, trying to take over all of its uh, major uh, lines of economic production or, 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 or mm-hmm. as customers, they're trying to get their gas and their oil in there, their manufacturers in there, et cetera, et cetera, their bankers. Right. It's, it's a stealth takeover, you know, coming in via a queue. Now, Effective. I know most yes. Americans probably don't know that. Most people in the West probably don't know that. But fucking Putin knows that. Putin's yeah. Putin knows what's yeah. happened, what's going on. He's not an idiot. He can see what's happening. Again, right. what do you do? This is America, as Mearsheimer says, um, acquiring additional increments of power at the expense of potential rivals. It's yeah. you know biting it off chunk by chunk. Every time they add a former yeah. Soviet country uh, or part of the Warsaw Pact, the Warsaw Pact country uh, to NATO. Which, let's be very clear, is is an American-led, American-created and led military alliance. Uh, You know, you have to understand Putin must feel trapped. Let me let me quote uh, one of the world's leading experts on this. He says um, he was talking about uh, the Duke of Warsaw under Napoleon back in the early eighteen hundreds. And how the Russians didn't like it because it was run by right. France and it was right on the border of Russia. This guy said probably a little like the Russians today really didn't appreciate the expansion of NATO right up to their borders. No matter how much America and the NATO allies said to Russia in the 20th century that this is a peaceful movement, not to worry about your mm-hmm. old adversary now having their member states right on your border. President Putin and others are not real thrilled with that. Well, it's very much the same thing in the 19th century. Russia was used to having, you know, buffer states between them and France, Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden a satellite nation in the French Empire is right on the border of Russia and they're not too happy about it. Uh, That was uh, J. David Markham in 2006. When history uh, repeats itself, he could actually yeah. uh, make you know make sensible comments about this. Now he's like, NATO expansion has nothing to do with it. You're a Putin puppet. Yeah. Should call him a Putin puppet. Um, well, not only that, and you you said this a billion times, but warfare is economics by uh, by another means, and so. Forget, forget for a second moving NATO troops or whatever into Ukraine. If we can go in there and they start trading with us, they start trading more with Europe instead of Russia, there's a whole other market that Russia is going to lose out on. And it's their neighbor, for God's sake. So, again, Putin is highly motivated. Again, I'm not agreeing with what he's doing, but he is highly motivated economically and as far as military security of his country. And economically, Russia's tiny, right? They're not doing great. They can't afford to lose markets piecemeal. But yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And secondly, uh, you know, we've mentioned this on earlier episodes. Putin has genuine domestic political 
and survival situations to consider, yeah. right? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, if if he he can't just sit by and let this happen. I mean, this is going to be domestically, yeah. uh, you know, not very good outcome for him if he just lets America gobble up their uh, trading partners. Right. Um, speaking of Putin and his performance, so the other thing that's amusing mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of weeks since we last talked about this is just the wall-to-wall media coverage about how um, uh, the Russian military are failing to achieve their objectives in Ukraine. What a huge disaster they are. It's failing. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they thought it would be over quickly and it's not right. because, you know, they're young kids and they don't even know where they are, half of them, and they've got no bullets and they've got no yeah. food and they've got no shoes and, uh, you know, all of these stories. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. any day now it's going to be over. Putin's going to have to pull out because he can't achieve his objectives. And look at those Ukrainians. Aren't they wonderful and defending their territory? Right. Now, of course, when America invaded Afghanistan, in 2000 and uh, too soon, too fucking sitting no, I'm just <laughs> too. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. Again, uh, wasn't a quick victory. Took 20 years. You pulled mm-hmm. out, accomplished nothing. When they were getting attacked and pushed back by the Afghanis, it was terrorist incursions and uh, rebel yes. incursions. Their country. And, yeah. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and we're gonna st- got to stay here until we finish the job. Got to put more troops yes. in. Stay until you finish the job. Was uh, Surge. the American? Yeah, right. surges. Obama did surges. Yeah. Um, but when it's Russia, oh look at how look at how uh, poorly they couldn't even finish this in two weeks. And like just again, right. the 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 double standards, the hypocrisy, the uh, and the way that it just comes across as this wall-to-wall um, barrage of one particular yeah. narrative. Russia's bad. Russia's failing. Putin's mad. The other narrative is, oh, Putin's uh, Putin's going to – Putin's on the – his neck's on the chopping block here. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, he's probably going to get taken out. American politicians right. are saying it wouldn't be great if somebody assassinated. They should, you know, really – Basically, begging for his own people to assassinate him. Yeah, like whoever comes next is going to be better. Right. Well, there was there's an article. I think it was either MSNBC News or CNN. One of them was saying uh, the people around Putin would rather kill him than give him bad news. So yeah, any day now, one of these guys are just going to walk up behind him, you know, and end this horrible thing. You know, so it's all. And like you're saying, the intensity of the news that is coming through there is it, it's all it's all for show there's no true analysis people are guessing but they're not calling it guessing they're, like it's something that they actually know but it's just so extreme and it's so obvious or it should be so obvious but if you're a loyal patriot american and actually that's not even true anymore because a lot of the republicans are voting for the russians the world makes no the world no longer makes sense to me i uh, i need someone to explain it to me yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for, Ray, is just to explain it. Yeah. Oh, thank Christ. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a quote here. I'm just trying to remember who this is from, from Claire, yeah. Claire Berlinski. Uh, Claire is mm-hmm. uh, an author and uh, I got this out of Politico, American journalist and author, 
um, got a doctorate in inter- international relations at Oxford. Um, yeah, not bad. Yeah, works as a freelance journalist in uh, Paris now. But um, mm-hmm. got a quote from an article that she wrote in Politico. And she says, the open liberal world order we know today was built in the wake of World War II and expanded after the collapse of the Soviet Union. By design, it is led by the United States. By design, it ensures permanent US military hegemony over Eurasia while uniting Europe under the US's protection. The goal of this American grand strategy is to prevent any single power from dominating the region and turning on the United States and its allies. American hegemony serves, mm. too, to quell previously intractable regional rivals, rivalries, preventing further world wars. So, man, it's not to say that having a global hegemon is necessarily a bad thing, net-net. I mean, hard to say. If they're... If they're- Merciful, yeah. Well, it could be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, listen. If if the US hadn't established um, its hegemony over Eurasia, um, well, it's near hegemony in the forties and mm-hmm. late forties and fifties, would we have seen more European wars break out, more Asian wars break out on a larger scale? There could have resulted in a lot more deaths than we've otherwise seen with Cold right. War conflicts. Yeah, you know, would they have developed nukes themselves and nuked each other? I mean, Europe's obviously been very unstable forever, uh, and it's been pretty stable. So it's it's really hard to do the the math sure. on this. What's better or what's worse? Uh, because the US has obviously done a lot of bad things and supported a lot of bad dictators and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And th- th- there is an argument to be made. I'm sure that. Um, that's uh, it had a net positive outcome, but it's highly theoretical. Uh, the, the point, though, yeah. is to recognise that that is what America did create, you know, sort of quasi-hegemony over this part of the world, that it maintains it using economic, military, propaganda, uh, culture wars, and mm-hmm. not to deny that that's what it's doing. Like the, the the problem that I have with, you know, all these people I get into arguments with, like people like Mark and we say, I hate America. I'm just trying to get people to have a realistic view of what's going on. As you and I have said a million yeah. times, it doesn't make America any better or any worse than any other country that's run an empire. So let's just acknowledge yeah. the facts. And people who can't even acknowledge the basic facts that this is what's right. happening and this is why it's happening are very hard to take seriously and have a serious conversation with. Yeah. Yeah, people who are saying that America is flawless and perfect in everything we do and we only want the best for every – you can't even have a conversation with those because they're, they're so far – I mean, they, they've they've drank all the Kool-Aid as far as I can tell because no, no entity, no person is perfect. So America's made mistakes along the way and some of them we did on purpose. But – when you have when you have someone who's a, a zealot, I don't even know the uh, any other word. You can't have a conversation with them, and they're certainly not going to see any other point of view. And they're quite happy being entrenched in their own propaganda. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I've been reading up on in the last week or so is uh, you know Putin's mm. been saying that Ukraine's being run by neo Nazis, and he's there to denazify the country. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, look, look, there is there is some truth behind this to a point. Um, 
There are two neo-Nazi organisations functioning um, fairly um, in a hands-off fashion, I guess, in Ukraine and have been for some time. Uh, are you familiar with mm-hmm. the Azov Battalion? No, tell me about it. Um, the Azov Battalion is a you know neo-Nazi militia, basically operating in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They've been fighting in the front lines in the Donbass region since 2014. Um, right, the, you know it's and and they're kind of being allowed to exist, I guess by mm-hmm. the Ukrainian government. Um, you know, they got an interview in The Guardian here that I'm going to quote from. This is from 2014, September 2014, by Sean Walker in Mariupol. Uh, Azov fighters are Ukraine's greatest weapon and maybe its greatest threat. I have nothing against Russian mm. nationalists or a great Russia, said Dmitry as we sped through the dark Mariupol night in a pickup truck, a machine gunner position in the back. But Putin's not even a Russian. Putin's a Jew. Dmitry, which he said is not his real name, is a native of East Ukraine and a member of the Azov Battalion, a volunteer grouping that has been doing much of the frontline fighting in Ukraine's war with pro-Russia separatists. Goes on to say, Dmitry claims not to be a Nazi, but waxed lyrical about Adolf Hitler as a military leader and believes the Holocaust never happened. That's a Nazi. Not not everyone in the Azov Battalion thinks like Dmitry, but after speaking with dozens of its fighters and embedding on several missions during the past week in and around the strategic port city of Mariupol, the Guardian found many Mm -hmm. of them to have disturbing political views and almost all to be intent on bringing the fight to Kiev when the war in the East is over. The battalion's symbol is reminiscent of the Nazi wolf's angel, though the battalion claims it is in fact meant to be the letters N and I crossed over each other, standing for national idea. So this is Mm. going back, as I said, to 2014. But if you, you know, Google as of battalion, you'll find that uh, there's quite a bit of media coverage out there. It's a real thing. This is Al Jazeera mm-hmm. uh, from March, 1st of March this year, 2022. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine enters its sixth day, Ukrainian far-right military regiment is back in the headlines. On Monday, Ukraine's National Guard tweeted a video showing Azov fighters coating their bullets in pig fat to be used allegedly against Muslim Chechens, allies of Russia, deployed in their country. Azov is a far-right all-volunteer infantry military unit whose members, estimated at 900, so they're not massive, are Mm ultra-nationalists and accused of harboring neo-Nazi and white supremacist ideology. The unit was initially formed as a volunteer group in May 2014 out of the ultra-nationalist Patriot of Ukraine gang and the neo-Nazi Social National Assembly, SNA group. Both groups engaged in xenophobic and neo-Nazi ideals and physically assaulted migrants, the Roma community, and people opposing their views. Mm. A few months after recapturing the strategic port city of Mariupol from the Russian-backed separatists, the unit was officially integrated into the National Guard of Ukraine in November 12, on November 12, 2014, and exacted high praise from then President <laughs> Petro Poroshenko. <laughs> right, right. Uh, having a 
some Nazi fighters is one thing. Having a Nazi leader in your, of your government, that's that's something else. These are our best warriors, he said at an awards ceremony in 2014. Our best volunteers. That's high praise. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was founded by a guy called Andre Beletsky, who was a leader of both the Patriot of Ukraine and the SNA. They're known to have carried mm. out attacks on minority groups in Ukraine. Um, they, he said that their, Ukraine's national purpose was to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against Semite-led Untermenschen, inferior races. He was wow. elected to parliament yeah. in 2014 um, and remained as an MP until 2019. Uh, the unit received backing from Ukraine's interior minister in 2014 as the government had recognised its own military was too weak to fight off the pro-Russian separatists and relied on paramilitary volunteer forces. So, mm. uh, listen, it's it's uh, they did have this neo-Nazi who was a member of parliament. They've been acknowledged and recognised and supported by members of the Ukrainian parliament over the last, uh, whatever, eight years, um, is mm-hmm. is Putin maybe uh, uh, blowing up what a big deal they are? Yeah, it sounds like it. But still, mm-hmm. why are the Ukrainians supporting uh, a Nazi military regiment and, uh, and, you know, that's not a good, not a yeah. good look, not a good sign. Now, in, again, all the Western media coverage I've seen about Putin's talking about denazification and everything I see on Facebook, people mm. are snorting at it like it's completely insane and crazy. Mm, right. It's not completely crazy. I mean, these there are right. Nazi an element. Nazi uh, divisions running around getting the support of the Ukrainian government. And actually one of the guys was yeah. in government for five years there. So Right. Okay. So when you again, but if you look at the media coverage in the West, you don't see a lot of uh, recognition of any of that. You know, you know right. saying, you know what? So it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not saying, look, uh, he's got a point, but it's not as bad as he makes out. That would be fine, but uh, which would be the truth? Yeah. That, say that. Yeah. Hey, Just well, but you can't. You see, it's a zero sum game. You can't give the bad guys anything, even if it's the truth. When that's where we're at. When Trump was seen to be saying there are good people and bad people on both sides after the Nazi rallies in Virginia, wasn't it? Charlottesville. Yes, right down the road. The, the fucking American left went insane. How can you say that about peri- people carrying a swastika? When it's happening in Ukraine, they're like, oh, Putin's overreacting. Yeah. It's just a few Nazis. It's, it's a big deal. They're, yeah. doing, they're fighting a good yeah. fight. They're good people. Uh, you know, it's like whatever <laughs> pick suits a fucking me. side and stick to it. You either you either uh, like Nazis or you don't like Nazis. Pick one. Um, wow. Here's a quote I got from uh, Ray McGovern talk I watched. Ray McGovern, former CIA uh, agent who mm-hmm. you know has been a whistleblower for the last twenty odd years. Um, he hosted a video uh, in the last week where he had Mia Scheimer and a few others on. Here he's quoting from a report from Lieutenant General Vincent Stewart, who was the DIA director in mm-hmm. um, 2015. The DIA is the 
big in us uh, division, I think, of the uh, United States government. Hmm. Is that what it's called? I, I'm not familiar with that. You're not familiar with Dick and us, right? Only in Vegas. Uh, the uh, defense, uh, <laughs> what is it? The Defense <laughs> Intelligence Agency, DIA. He's got a quote here from the director of the DIA in December 2015. He said, the Kremlin has convinced the U.S. is laying the groundwork for regime change in Russia, a conviction further reinforced by events in Ukraine. This is back in Mm. 2015, right? Moscow views the U.S. as the critical driver behind the crisis in Ukraine and believes that the overthrow of Yanukovych is the latest move in a long-established pattern of U.S. orchestrated regime change efforts. Um, so my mm. point with that is that these guys have known that that's how Russia is feeling about it. They're convinced the U.S. military intelligence uh, guys know and have known for many, many years that Russia believes that the U.S. continually pushing into places like Ukraine and taking it over subtly through right. coups and military support, economic support, etc., is a is an existential threat. They believe that the U.S. is pushing for regime change uh, in Russia, right? And so they have good, and they have good reason to believe that the U.S. has been doing regime change all over the world, or trying it all over the world in you know the 21st century, yes. Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Iraq, Libya, um, mm-hmm. Egypt, uh, you know Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Cuba, the sanctions are all about regime change Cuba. still in Cuba, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, right. North Korean sanctions. So uh, they have good reason to believe that. They do believe that. And uh, if you believe that your enemy is creeping into your territory with a view of yeah. regime change, it's an existential threat. And what do you do if not push yeah. push back and say, hey, you know, you can maybe you're going to take us down, but you're not going to take us down. Quietly, we're not going to go quietly into the night. We're going to fuck some shit up. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of a game that America's playing. By, not, I mean, you let the other side if you can. If it's not a um, a moral issue for you, you let the other side have some pride. Let them retain some face. But here we are. We're just creeping ever closer, and then we're shocked when he reacts. And he's the madman. He's the crazy man. But we're the ones, to a degree, who have pushed this, pushed him to this point. Uh, it's a dangerous game for us to be playing, and I certainly don't know what Putin is thinking, except for he probably doesn't didn't have too many other options besides standing up for himself because nobody else was going. Yeah, and look, I'm con- increasingly of the view, Ray, that mm-hmm. the way this is playing out was probably um, understood, like it was uh, 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 part of the strategic planning of the U.S. planners. So mm-hmm. they're pushing in to Ukraine, taking it over bit by bit through coups, etc. Mm-hmm. They go, okay, well, you know, let's say we're 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 on a whiteboard. You and I, um, seven years ago in Washington DC or in the Pentagon, we're trying. How's this going to play out? Well, Russia's going to do one of two things. They're either going right. to let us get away with it, in which case mm-hmm. we win. Or right. they're going to get fed up and they're going to push back and attack Ukraine. In which right. case we win because we're not there. They're not attacking us. We don't die. 
Yeah. We're not sending we're not sending in troops. We're not getting involved. Luke Biden's already said at the outset, yeah. hey. And if that wasn't an invitation, yeah. I don't know what was. Hey, if anything goes down, yeah. my name is Paul and this is between nope. y'all. Like yeah. I'm not right. we're not getting involved. Oh, we'll right. send some money, but we're not getting involved. Oh. We will snarl no. and wave our finger and stomp no. our foot, but we're not gonna get involved when people get killed yeah. and cities get destroyed and what we will do is we will apply sanctions to Russia. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that we will tell countries around the world, you've got to stop buying Russian goods and services, including gas and oil, et cetera, right. et cetera. Oh, they're going to say, where will we buy them from? Oh, hello, we say, uh, you can buy them from us. But but yeah. won't that make the price go up because there was like limited supply and too much demand? Yes. Oh, right. the price of oil and gas goes up. <laughs> yummy, yummy. Uh, you know, something that Tony and I have talked about a lot on our QAV show, uh, or Tony talks about a lot, right. is that the way that shale oil uh, mining happens in the US is it's, it's very expensive uh, to mm-hmm. fracking. It's very expensive compared oh, to traditional right. uh, measures of getting oil out of the ground. So the way that fracking yeah. operators operate is that when the price for oil drops below a certain price, they basically just stop. They shut up shop, close down. Yes. They need yeah. the oil price yeah. to go up in order for there to be enough margin in there for them to make money. Right. So oil going up is really good for fracking operators across the United States. And, you know, what you have mm-hmm. seen happen, I posted yeah. a story about this uh, recently, was a bunch of oil mining organizations in the U.S. have uh, been going to the U.S. government saying, hey, you need to let us produce more oil because we're going to right. send it to Europe and they're calling it freedom oil. Freedom oil. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. Freedom oil. Sorry. Um, we're going yeah. to <laughs> we're going to send this oil out of the goodness of our hearts. Out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going yeah. to send yeah, yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. sell this oil and gas. Yeah. Uh, to Ukraine and the people of Europe when they can't buy it from uh, Russia anymore. So, you know, again, it gets back to a win-win. So if if Putin didn't invade, they win. They'd just take it all over. If he does invade, Mm -hmm. they win because they get to get a good excuse to throw sanctions against Russia and then go and gobble up all of their trading partners. So I think that's... That's to me yeah. sounds like a strategy. And now, you know, people have said on Facebook, oh, yes, oh, the US tricked, the nasty US tricked Russia into doing it. I go, well, it's not the first time because we've seen this story before. You and I, uh, on this show, we were doing a series about Afghanistan, uh, the Russia Afghanistan. Yes. War. You know, yeah. for people who haven't heard that, uh, go back and listen to it. Um, it was only a few months ago. Um, you know, in 1979, Russia supposedly invaded Afghanistan uh, and they ended up getting stuck there for 10 years, played a pretty big role in the final collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, what that's again, that's the Disney version of the story. The real version of the story, when you drill down into it, is mm. that the 
government of Afghanistan in the late 70s was pro-Russian and uh, they were, uh, you know, a socialist government. They were trying to reform Afghanistan, uh, mm-hmm. lessen the power of the, you know, the religious imams, etc., promoting education, the rights of women, <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. you know, education, yeah. uh, you know, uh, economic, um, more economic freedoms for people, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the the imams, the fundamentalist mm-hmm. uh, Muslim religious leaders of the country, didn't like that. The, a lot right. of them, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of like. Uh, Breakouts of violence going on. They got crushed by the Afghani government. They went to Pakistan, where mm-hmm. they were supported by the Pakistani government and with US support in secret to you know build right. what became the Mujahideen, which then became Al Qaeda. The Mujahideen then went in and kept attacking Afghanistan. Now, meanwhile, the Afghani government at the time in 1979 for about a full year was begging the Soviets to come in, begging the Russians to come in. Please. Begging Brezhnev, please come in, please come in. We need your help. We need your help to deal with this. We can't deal with it. Brezhnev kept saying, no, you, 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 that's the last thing you <laughs> no. want is for us to come in there. Yes. When we start Nothing marching good. in, a bunch of white boys right. from the Caucasus, it's no. not going to look good. Like it's going to make things worse. <laughs> it's not going to make it better. It's right. the last thing you want, trust me. But it kept getting worse and then one of the – there were three major uh, political leaders um, of Afghanistan. Two of them ganged up on the third and sent him into exile. Then – uh, one of the t- le- remaining two, Amin, had the other one, Taraki, assassinated because he thought Taraki was probably going to assassinate him. Um, sure. And and but he kept and then he kept begging the Russians to come in. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Come in. Help. 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 The Russians finally went to themselves. Okay, this shit's getting out of control. Both with the Mujahideen and these yeah. guys assassinating each other, and they thought that Amin, the guy who assassinated Taraki, was talking to the CIA. So mm-hmm. they did go in at Amin's request. So technically, not an invasion when you get invited in, right? And right then they assassinated Amin, which he didn't see coming, and he was shocked. He couldn't even believe it as they were in the process of poisoning him and his people. He was like, "Somebody said Me? it's the Russians." He's like, "What? No, they're our friends. That could never yeah. happen." <laughs> <laughs> so they assassinated yeah. him, and then the Americans deliberately tried to extend that invasion as long as possible. And we know mm. that. It's, that's not a conspiracy theory. We know that because Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was Jimmy Carter's head of uh, national security uh, at the time, told him, hey, we have an opportunity here. And he, he said, he said yeah. in his memoirs that he – told Carter this six months before the Russians moved in. He said, if we play this right, we can give Russia its own Vietnam. And so Carter secretly created a presidential order to start massively funding and supporting the Mujahideen with the deliberate intention of dragging the war out as long as possible. So they forced the Russians' hand. Uh, and then by increasing the Mujahideen attacks and then force them to stay there as long as possible, resulting, of course, in probably millions of 
extraneous deaths. If if the Americans hadn't got involved, probably all would have been over relatively quickly. Uh, may not have. Maybe it would have been a Vietnam mm-hmm. anyway. But you know, if they hadn't right. got involved, it probably would have been over quickly. They did get involved and uh, secretly yeah. and lied about it, and and people still don't know the true story. And I read any somebody on Facebook was trying to argue that me about with me about this the other day. Is like, what's your source? And so I gave him like three or four books um, by people <laughs> who were there, uh, right? Uh, by Western academics, you know. And he said, "Yeah, well, your source says this book says that they went and they." You know, they went into the country. I go, yeah, but they were invited in. Where does it say that? Well, right here it says that. He goes, yeah, but then they assassinated the guy who invited them in last. They go, yeah, but they were still invited They're in. Still invited. And he yeah. was like, oh, yeah, yeah, your source is bullshit. You don't even. It doesn't even back up. Well, you go, yeah, yeah, it does. Can you fucking read? Like it says, they were invited yeah. in many times. You didn't want to see it. Yeah, people, yes. people can't over a year. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. My only yes. point being that think- the U.S. have done yes. this before, like uh, engineering or forcing a hand or trying to force a hand is right. is a tactic they've done before. They've done it with Russia before in Putin's lifetime. He would know mm-hmm. the history of that as well as we do and yeah. probably far, far better. He knows that this is right. a tactic. So he didn't trick them. They, I mean, the U.S. didn't trick him into doing this. But you know, I'm, I'm sure he felt his hand was forced, and uh, yeah, and I still think he will probably prevail. I think he will get uh, Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky will um, mm. have to negotiate a peace, and he will have to. He's already started to say, "There's no way Ukraine can ever join NATO." Um, I do, I do think that. Putin will stick it out here and um, he will get the deal that he wants out of Zelensky. Um, It's going to be brutal. A lot of people are going to die. It would have been far easier if the US, if Biden had just agreed to discuss Ukraine and NATO with Putin in the first place, but that's great power politics, people. The US win either way is my point. Even if, even if, Putin yes. gets a deal out of Zelensky, these economic sanctions are probably going to stick around for a very long time. And yes, it's going as to long dest- as Putin's around. And it's going to destroy yeah. Russia's economy. And uh, you know, it's going to cause suffering in Ukraine. It's going to cause suffering in Russia for the Russian people. Russian people didn't ask for any of oh, this. Yeah. It's going to cause suffering for them. It's going to cause uh, big paydays for American uh, companies and the allies of American companies. Not all American companies, mm-hmm. but American companies. Like you'll see that Qatar or Saudi Arabia, Ramco, or organizations like this are going to step up and provide oil and gas. Not American, but American companies have big financial interests in a lot of these. Right. Saudi Aramco was floated yeah. uh, on the U.S. Stock Exchange last year. You know, there's a lot of these businesses that Americans and their allies have major stakes in, if not partnerships and quid pro quo deals and whatever. So it's, you know, qui bono, follow, follow the money. Who who stands to benefit from all of this? Um, yeah. Certainly Not the good. US does. Yes. 
Well, Putin yeah. does maybe in a way, but I don't. I don't get the sense that Putin's enjoying this or that he wanted to do this. I think new. this was um, new. This was uh, last um, last uh, last option. You know, option. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Sanctions will be around for years and maybe the Russians will be tied up in uh, uh, Ukraine. I started to say Afghanistan uh, for years. We'll keep sending them weapons so they can keep fighting the Russians. So you're right. Uh, if America did plan this, then it's starting to unfold the way they wanted to. And Russia will be tied down for years. If you can't beat your enemy, at least keep them occupied with something for as many years as you possibly can. Mm. Oh, the other sorry. The other thing before we go, I wanted to yeah. note um, is I've had a lot of people on Facebook tell me that Putin is trying to rebuild the Russian Empire. There's no evidence for that. Uh, Putin himself has said. Now you may say, well, he's lying, and maybe he is, but this is what we have to go on. He's said that while he regrets the collapse of the Soviet Union, he thinks what it was the great it was one of the great tragedies in history, and I and there's good reasons to agree with him. I mean, if you go going back to Mearsheimer and um, you know his book on great power politics, um, a bipolar world where you have two relatively equally powerful countries is much better mm -hmm. than a unipower, a unipolar world where you have just one single right. great power who can do whatever the hell they want. It's good to have them sort of – Be a tyrant. Yeah, it's good to have checked. them checked. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Putin has said that he thinks it's a great tragedy, but he also realizes it's gone. That you can never rebuild that. You know, it's impossible to rebuild that. It was it's, it was a point in time right. that's gone. He has said that he knows that it can't be done. Uh, that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that he's telling the truth in that. But th when people say that's what he want to go, well, where's your evidence for that? Like seriously, there's no right. evidence. He's he's never said that. No one else in his inner circle has ever said that that's his intention. It's just Americans yeah. putting words in his mouth the same way they said Saddam had WMD or was Saddam was an ally of Al-Qaeda and all this kind of crazy bullshit that they say about yeah. the enemy du jour. Uh, but people buy it lock, stock and barrel. People who should fucking know better, Ray, because we've been through yeah. Saddam and we've been through Afghanistan and we've – you know, in the last 20 years, how yeah. many fucking times have we seen this sort of story play out with the just the propaganda and the demonization and the lies? And then if you call the media on that, people say, oh, you're pro-Saddam or you're pro-the Taliban or you're pro-Putin or you're pro-Trump. Right. You're a traitor. Anytime you try and just point out that the facts don't support the narrative, you immediately get yeah. accused of this stuff. It's just so... Um, disappointing and and um, uh, sad for me to see relatively intelligent people who should know better. Like this, the great one washed right. masses of the population who don't have the luxury of studying history or reading about this stuff deeply like we do because they're unemployable. Uh, you know, it, it, they, I don't expect them to know what's going on. Um, right, but for right. The people who, but they're being lied to. But for the people who do read history and and do have the yeah. time to study this stuff, because you know they're podcasters or they're retired or they're whatever journalists. Yeah, 
Uh, it's really, really disappointing. But there you go. Yeah. But the other part of that is, and I and I saw this on the news today, so I'm not sure what you've seen, but not only supposedly is uh, Putin going to go after Moldova, and he's now going to go after Lithuania. They were explaining the land bridge with uh, Belarus, and he could be able to cut it off and isolate it and move the, the Russian fleet from the Baltic Sea or whatever. And so if I say to a news agency, I want to get on your show, and I say, not only is Putin going to win in Ukraine, but he's going to take two other countries as soon as he can, you're going to book me on your show if i call you up and say well you know you've got to consider the overall picture we've got to look at history and putin was pushed into this they're going to stop me right there we don't want you on the show that's not sensationalism that shit doesn't sell it might be common sense but it's common sense doesn't put doesn't sell anything and so i'm not going to get on the show yeah that's exactly how the free media works in the west you you yeah, you will not get invited on twice. Exactly, they might you might sneak right. on the first time, but you, you might <laughs> the first time. You, yeah. your, your articles aren't going to get published. Uh, your opinion pieces aren't going to get published in the mainstream media. You're not going right. to get published in the articles. Now, you know the funny thing is, though, is you know uh, people will. This is the same argument that people make. The, the crazy COVID conspiracy nuts make about. You know, uh, well, there's secret. You know, there's there's small test results for uh, ivermectin being, you know, a, a cure for a yes. bubble. And they go, well, you know, these scientists who are doing this stuff, or this doctor or this nurse I know who did this thing, and they're getting shut out. They're not able to get their stuff published, and so you're you're only getting one side of the story. It sounds the same as what we're saying, but he, there's a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Coronavirus and what causes it, and and how to cure it, and and uh, how to defend yourself against it, sits in the realm of science. That mm-hmm. you know, th- that is a true science where there are scientists who devote their life to working out the laws and how the laws apply, and they do right. massive studies and tests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Peer reviews, all. So in that domain, when you're talking about that, you have to look at the scientific credibility of the people with the Mm -hmm. fringe claims and, you know, why they're different to the mainstream scientific bodies, et cetera, et cetera. The the whole thing I've talked about for years about epistemology and heuristics. You have to use epistemology and heuristics too when you're talking about geopolitics, but geopolitics isn't a science like chemistry or biology. Or right. physics. It's a social science, and the word science in social science is 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 a bit um, uh, misleading. Well, yeah. It, 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 I mean, we try and be scientific about it, where we look for evidence, etc. Right. But the study of yeah, right, right, it's, right, right. It's you know, it's really loosey goosey. Much you know, <laughs> it, it, right. there, there are no, there are theories like offensive realism is a theory, and and in his book. Yeah. He says, well, in order for it to be a good theory, it has to be able to both explain what's happened in the past and predict what will happen in the future. And sure. he did predict this, so that tends to be a, a tick in his box here. Um, but, you know, the, when you look at this kind of stuff, it's uh, it's not a hard science, let's say. It's a soft science. Right. There are no authoritative bodies. 
when it comes to these sorts of things, unfortunately, um, where you can go, well, this is where I get my hard science from. So for me, the epistemology mm-hmm. and the heuristics for studying this kind of stuff, the epistemology, how do we know what is true, is I have to ask myself, um, uh, what, what, what are the ways by which we determine how states act? What are the what are the various right. theories that are available to us that help explain the behaviors of great powers and states? Now, mm-hmm. offensive realism um, seems to make sense. There are probably alternative models, but you need a model that uh, that you think uh, rationally attempts to explain yeah. behavior. Yeah, framework. Once you have a framework. Then you go, well, who are the people who understand that framework that can interpret what's happening for me because I'm not an expert? Who are the experts right. in that framework and experts that have a good track record, that have been consistent, that have been telling the same story for a long period of time, who have successfully mm-hmm. been able to explain historical events or future events or predict future events by or current events by using this framework? And then, right. and then that's your heuristic. They're the people you turn to. And for me, it's increasingly, you know, it's always been Chomsky because, you know, to me, Chomsky, who is sort of an offensive realist, I mean, he didn't, he doesn't quote that term, I think, but basically that's his view of the world is, you know, great powers try and dominate. That seems fairly mm-hmm. simple to accept. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, the U.S. is a great power and therefore it tries to dominate, but it can't be seen to be dominating because it has this certain image. Yeah. So it sells, like Mia Shimer says, it says one thing but does another. Uh, right. You turn to those people. So, uh, but then getting back to your point, these people tend to get shut mm-hmm. out of the mainstream media because it is run by certain corporate, military, industrial, congressional um cabals the complex that wants to drive home a certain narrative that's uh, supporting Mm -hmm. their economic agenda and again this is another massive transfer of wealth what biden's got was it 12 or 13 billion dollars approved for more money so again this is money that is quite literally going from taxpayers pockets could have been used to build roads and hospitals or healthcare or whatever education, and is going to American corporations. They're not just giving it to Ukraine. It's Marshall Plan style. It's like right. you can- Filtering. Yeah. You, you you can get access to American goods, mostly military goods. So, and, you know, right. with that, we'll send a few experts and a few people down and just make sure you're, uh, you know, toeing the yeah. line. and Doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Part of the American uh, economic block. Anyway, I, yeah. I got to go. Uh, I got to get to Kung Fu. Um, all right. That's my 90-minute off-the-cuff rant about what's going on. <laughs> You're welcome. Good. And and there'll probably be many more for years to come. Let's hope not. Let's hope it all, you know, it's peace and rainbows and daffodils by the end of the week. Don't forget the unicorns. <laughs>